If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey guys, while you guys are listening to this week's podcast, be sure to head over to 80.lv to check out the latest with tips and tricks. If you guys are curious about Tim Sweeney and what he thinks about the future of video game graphics, there's a cool article on the website right now about how the founder of Epic Games and the creator of Unreal Engine shared an answer he gave to a question on video game graphics future back in 1996. It's actually a pretty cool article to see if his projection came true. Also, if you're looking for tips and tricks of how to do 3D interior production, 3D artist Zach Parkinson talked about the way he achieved the incredible look of his stunning UE4 interior. Inspired by the Scottish Holiday Estates, Resident Evil, and Last of Us. Be sure to check that out. Alright, let's get back into it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the world, the globe, international, intergalactic, wherever you may be while listening to this voice, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, and I brought back with me the co-host, most notably known as the voice actor behind all the voices of Left 4 Dead, Mr. Brandon Pham. What's up, everybody? Hey, this is Brandon Pham. How are you guys doing? Please welcome our special guest from the UK, Jake Burkett. <laughs> Hey. Thanks, guys. Uh, nice to be here. It's early for me and it's late for you, but uh, nice to be here. That's dedication, listeners. <laughs> that's, that's what that <laughs> From is. From both sides, yeah. So, Jake. Yeah. Uh, Overcoming the time difference to deliver fresh, quality podcast content. It's good. It's all good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you mind at this point of the podcast, we usually ask our guests to kind of go over your resume, kind of give us a background of who we're talking to here? Okay, sure. So um, I'm a full-time indie developer. Um, I went indie in 2005. Uh, Before that, I made business software for about nine years. Um, But I'd always made games since I was a kid. So, you know, since the 8-bit days, actually, on Spectrum and Commodore 64, then Amiga. So it was a hobby for 20 years, actually. And then I decided to go full-time. And I made a bunch of games. most recently, I made a game called Regency Solitaire, which mm-hmm. is like a card game set in 1812. And that, mm-hmm. that's done pretty well. And now I'm working on a game called Shadowhand, which is like set 40 years before that in 1717. It's about a highway woman in England. So, yeah, I've, I've been around for quite a long time as an indie developer. I guess I've been around for quite a long time anyway. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm still here. That's the, I guess, sort of slightly unusual thing, being an indie developer for coming up on 12 years now. Right. Congratulations. Congrats. Man. Thanks. Well, the thing that I'm always impressed with, and I, it, it's, it's a theory on our side, but you, you're the proven uh, aspect of it, where a game developer, to me, even when they go indie, always kind of think that their first game is going to be a hit or not. And then, you know, tail between their legs, they go back into the industry, uh, AAA or whatever. But I was turned to you by your brilliant GDC talk, 11 hits, uh, 11 no wonder hit. Uh, uh, the no hit wonder. The no hit wonder. There we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> GDC, it was originally just called the no hit wonder, which is nice and simple. Right. Um, mm. As in, I sort of survived for a long time without a hit game. And GDC changed the title to something weird on YouTube. Like 11 <laughs> exactly. years without a hit game. It wasn't very punchy. I don't know. <laughs> it, it probably had better SEO or something. Well, we're going to correct that on our podcast. The no hit okay. wonder. The original yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. But you represent the majority of indie developers out there. 
But what? Well, <laughs> uh, what do you it, mean right? by that? <laughs> think about that. The, the chances of someone making a game for the first time and being a hit is very yeah. few and very rare. But those are the loudest that we hear in the headlines and yep. the articles. And it is uh, very discouraging when you're not that guy and it's your first try. So, mm. do you mind kind of running us through uh, like the beginnings of uh, right. of this? Yeah. Sure. So what happened at the beginning was, uh, as I said, I was a hobbyist game developer. So I was making business software. And in my spare time, I was making a game called Iron Fist. Nothing to do with the Marvel character, actually. This was 2004. It was like a a side-scrolling, well, multi-scrolling platform game with a a guy who knew Kung Fu, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think I got samples from Bruce Lee movies for him doing all the stuff. And and, and I'm a big fan of Kung Fu movies. So, um, yeah, I was making this game and I thought this is cool. But at the time... um, I realized that there wasn't actually a market for such games because there was no Steam, right? Mm. There was no Xbox Live, right? And you had to sell your games online and and from your own website or from other sites, but people weren't really buying that type of game. And it, it was also pretty hard work this game and I realized that I'd overscoped it and it would take me years to finish. Mm. So um, I decided to um, about that time I played Bejeweled, right? The, the, the classic sort of match three game. And I thought, oh, maybe I can make one of those mm-hmm. um, instead because it's simpler and, you know, I can sort of ship a commercial game instead of working on this, this Iron Fist game. And I think, yeah, that was um, sort of in the summer of 2005. But, but the other thing with this Iron Fist game, by the way, is that I was making it like all night long. I was doing a day job then staying up all night sort of working and getting four hours sleep. Mm -hmm. And I was a zombie, you know, and I thought this can't go on. So I decided I wanted to try and do this full time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I asked my wife, you know, can I uh, make games full time? And and so she uh, did, you know, she actually agreed to it. Right. So I'm really pleased that she let me do that. But I, 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 yeah, I said in my talk, she was kind of sleep deprived because we just had a new kid and she, she might have agreed to anything sort of thing. But, um, did she, it wasn't, did she uh, eventually agree? Or was it one of those things where she, you, know, you guys talked it through? <laughs> uh, I, I have a hard time memory remembering. I probably like remembering it in a sort of rosy way. But um, I think she could see that I, I got in this sort of funny state where I wanted to quit my job, but I knew that going indie was risky. I knew mm, it was risky. I mean, right. and, uh, cool. and we just, we'd actually just bought a new house a year before we got two kids. Okay. You know, I had an, I had an income from this business software, right. Right? right? You know, meanwhile, we've got mortgage bills, a car, all the, you know, even a cat, everything. So um, we knew it was risky and she could see me stuck between two worlds, like what I wanted to be and, and what I was. And I was in this horrible listless state of sort of almost depression because, yeah. and then when I finally made the decision to go indie, it was like a huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Mm. And then I sort of threw myself into the task. Um, and that's when I started to make this, this bejeweled style game. Um, and it was called Xmas bonus and which is Xmas is, the way people say Christmas in the UK, at least, just right, I don't know if right. you say it over there, some kind of non-religious way to say it or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So even the name is bad, right? Because a lot of people are like, "What the hell is Xmas?" Um, anyway, so I made this. It, it, I made this Christmas theme game, and I found a guy who said he'd publish it for me, meaning he contacted all the distributors and put the game on there, and and we got this game out the door um, in time for Christmas. It was quite a strain because. That was, I'd gone from a hobbyist making bits of games or unfinished games and fiddling with this code or that tech. And I had to make a finished product, which you can play from beginning to end for like five or six hours. And it's fun. And, you know, the whole thing holds together. And that is in itself quite a big task. Whether it's good or bad, it's still quite a big task. So I put the game out there and it just basically made absolute peanuts. Um, and I think you saw from my talk, it's made about $2,000 over 10 years, over yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Um, so my first question for you, yeah. just to cut in right now is like, so how does your wife handle that news? <laughs> yeah. Give us the behind That's the what I want to know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, you know, it did. I don't think it, it went well, you know, um, I, 
I, again, I think I probably blotted this from my memory in order to sort of carry on making <laughs> the uh, But I know that, yeah, it didn't go well. I was obviously disappointed, so was she. But this weird thing happened, which was the very fact that anyone bought any of my any of it right more than one copy right. i was like okay yeah i sold a couple hundred copies people who played it said it was good it's just not many people bought it and played it right so but i was like okay well i'm onto something here maybe you know i can reuse this engine that i've got with some different graphics and I make another game and I contacted someone I met on a forum and, and we made some Easter graphics for the game, mm -hmm. like chicks and, and, and um, fluffy chicks and Easter eggs and whatever. And we, and we made another one, but that sort of did similarly bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was my second game, right? So that was the first game was a flop. Second game was a flop. Um, second game did slightly better though, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, you know, there's an improvement here, like yeah. going to the gym or something, you know, yeah. like, oh, yeah, um, I and can what, bench what, another another game. Um, how was the, how was your wife's face at this point? <laughs> well, it was getting pretty bad. We had totally run out of money, right? Totally. So yeah. so. Um, I was doing this thing. Yeah, we, I never had, used to use a credit card. Right? Right. I was always trying to live within my means, right, never yeah. get into debt. But this is the time when I was like, okay, <laughs> we have to start using a credit card now. Um, and we, we would just buy all of our food and everything on this you know, credit card. Because right. um, you can't pay your mortgage on a credit card. Right. They won't let you do that. But So we were sort of building up this debt. And then this, uh, this American guy contacted me and said um, – make this could i make this wizard of oz game for him right um another sort of match three of the wizard of oz thing because the book right after 100 years the ip for the book becomes public domain I so see. he said we can we can use the book in our game so i i actually decided to use new technology because by this point i'd realized something really important mm -hmm. which was that people don't like games that look crap yeah. okay you know if they look low quality they just don't want to spend money on it and my games frankly looked like low quality games right mm. and that's a, that's the problem a lot of indies face these days they don't realize that if you produce something low budget people don't want to spend money on it right mm -hmm. you know you don't want to buy a crappy looking car do you you want to buy a decent looking car mm. you know and the same with games so um so i changed technology to an engine which could do more fancy effects you know i know it sounds basic but stuff like rotation scaling um transparency so i could mm -hmm. make particle effects and stuff like mm -hmm. that and then he hired an artist and they made 3d rendered shapes and nice painted backgrounds he hired a professional musician to make classical music and the whole thing came came together mm -hmm. i mean he probably only i think he only spent seven thousand dollars but i say only but i mean he had the seven thousand i didn't have it right I'm, yeah, i was on credit cards right um and that 7,000 made that game look and sound professional, plus my work programming it, right? Mm -hmm. So it really did come together. And that came out. And again, you know what? It, it wasn't a hit, but it did, like, it, it got in the top 10 on one distributor site, which, and it did make some money. It wasn't as much as we wanted or hoped for. It mm -hmm. didn't make us rich, but it put a li little bit of money back in my account. Mm -hmm. Over awesome. time... Over time, though, that game has gone on to make, you know, okay money. It's just, it took years and years and years, like seven years. I think if, in my talk, I said um, seven years after it came out, we, I got someone to make a mobile version and we got a large chunk of money from a distributor for that. Oh, yes. So that's the kind of weird thing about games is once they're made, they're like a Stephen King book. You know, they're out there and they're, <laughs> they're just constantly selling. I guess yeah. they date a bit quicker than, than, than books, but... Um, but, but the good thing about this game was it was a stepping stone. And this um, company, Big Fish Games, someone in it had seen this game and they thought it was well made, right? And they contacted me and said, that was a really well made game. Do you want to do some contract work for us and make a game called Fairway Solitaire? Um, and I was so desperate for cash and they were a pretty big deal, this company. I mean, you know, yeah, they were pretty, I know pretty big deal. Yeah, and I was like, uh, okay, you want me to work for you? And so, you know, we set up a deal. They gave me some money in advance, and I sort of cleared my debts and got back to zero, basically. Um, and then, I, you know, I worked for them making a game. But this this was 18 months after I'd started. Mm -hmm. So I had to stick at it that long and kind of lose money, kind of keep my wife, like, from killing me. Kind of thing. <laughs> that should have been your game, man. Your third game is right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Me, meanwhile, my kids growing up, you know, uh, it was it was tough news. Also, we did this thing right with our house where, when we bought it, the guy who 
sold us the mortgage. He persuaded us to, because um, I was doing well on Business Stopper. He said, hey, um, why don't you, instead of having your mortgage for 25 years, run it over 15 and just pay more per month and you'll get it done <laughs> oh, quicker. Yeah. And yeah. the mortgage would be gone quicker. Well, sensible advice, right? Except yeah. that once that was set up and I was on no money, I was shelling out double mortgage each month, mm-hmm. right? So it was painful, painful. Uh, and it was tough. And actually, to this day, my wife reminds me maybe about once a month um, of, uh, of like how bad it was financially yeah. and how we didn't spend any money. We didn't go on any holidays or we didn't do, didn't do anything. I mean, and we were ate food, okay, because we got in debt to so make sure we could eat, eat food, right? Yeah. So there was nothing else. I mean, um, good then, woman, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. She stuck yeah. by That's me. That's like the, ulti- yeah, the ultimate test right there. I mean, this, the thing I love about your story is it's so relatable to everyone out there. I mean, I can relate to this. I'm stuck between a hard place and a rock where I have a stable job, but I, you know, and with a family to support. But at the same time, I'm not fulfilling what I want to be. And that gap to jump over that, that, that huge risk, right, it is so enticing but risky. So, like you said, if you have the patience to kind of stick with it, through the highs and the lows, I do feel like naturally, like anything that you do, you do get better. Yeah. You just got to wait it out and just keep at it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I guess is I, I also teach Aikido, which is a Japanese oh, martial arts. Um, yeah. The, I've been Steven Seagal stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's not, been, not to water it down like that. <laughs> Steven Seagal's legit, man. No. <laughs> He's he's good at it. He's he's good at it, but he kind of like smashes his students' heads together, slaps them around the face (laughs) a bit. Um, uh, You know, I I try to make sure the students come back. So I've been doing that for twenty twenty years, um, teaching for sixteen. And one of the things, kind of any sports or martial arts teaches you is is endurance and perseverance. right? Right. In order to get a black belt. Unless it's a muk dojo, as they call it, where you can pay the money and get get one leg over the counter, you got to basically stick at something for five years. Five years, constantly training, week in, week out. It's hard work. And then, you know, at the end of that, you hopefully get a black belt. And then, you know, a lot of people get a black belt and fizzle out. They go, okay, I've got that now. And that, and this is cliche, but, you know, it's the first rung of the ladder, the black belt. Yeah. It's like, okay, you've achieved this basic competence, actually. It's not like you're some kick-ass dude it's like no actually you know now you've got to keep going and then you, you now keep, you can you, learn yeah yeah now you start to really open up and you get your second dan i've got i've got a third dan you know and i'm working on that so, oh, nice. so um but what i'm trying to say is that taught me something i guess about sticking with something i also play the guitar i've been doing that, doing that for 25 years and if you've ever tried to play the guitar you'll know that like for the first year, every chord you play sounds like a fart. You know, it's just, it, it's just terrible. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that. It's more like, you know, and, and you just sound bad. You know, really, everything's bad, and you've got to keep sticking at this thing over and over until you get good at it. And I, you know, I sometimes I sound like an old man now, but I think that as people are getting more into the digital revolution of download and watch on demand and watch stuff on their phone and games. I'm worried that people are losing this thing, which is the patience to stick at something. Right. And they, if they don't get an instant result, they will try to change to something else. Yeah. That's not everyone, but I'm, I see that quite a lot. And I think with any, building any kind of business, you've got to stick at it. Mm-hmm. And, and a, a lot of people try and go indie. They don't get the first hit game. And then, you know, they've run out of money or they can't sustain themselves. They have to stop or, or they're disheartened. They have to stop. Right. Uh, and I, I'd seen some improvements, uh, you know, from, game to game so i was like okay well logically if i keep going right. it will get better and it did right it just took a long bloody time right and i probably made some bad decisions along the way i saw a lot of my friends make very good decisions you know and i'm the one who's left behind and in, in the dust you know right. going, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you're touching on a very good point and i feel like that is the missing element to a lot of indie developers there you are very meticulous on your data record keeping as in you log in all your hours like you were mentioning this in your talk and then for you to measure out the next 10 years you just found you know that you're making actually a profit because Mm -hmm. of the amount of hours that you put in not Mm -hmm. everyone and not even me i i haven't really thought of it like that like when i do go indie one day it's, it's definitely something i will want to implement 
and I encourage others to because it is at least, you know, when you're doing Aikido or any type of sport or any type of self-improvement, mm-hmm. you know, you go to the gym, you see that guy with the journal. There's a reason why he's writing down his reps and writing down his improvement because you need to see those little things and the little differences in the size of your biceps every week, even yeah. if it's small, but you see it's the improvement. That's that's the key to keeping it because otherwise, if you're just glancing back as you can probably expand on you you don't really see the difference and you might quit or too early without the data i would say it's very easy for you to not see the instant gratification like you guys both gonna mention right so like you would never have known that your games were long tail right like because you wouldn't have had those those metric points to kind of say oh look there's a spike here let me investigate that oh i now see a pattern between this game and this other game they always seem to sell well on christmas well it's a christmas game but you actually had the data you know to support the decision to continue to like market these games like oh every year i'm going to do a marketing push because i've seen that i'm selling way more copies on these days you know and a, a lot of guys who would just say oh our game didn't sell in two months might not even they might be missing out on so many sales by just having somebody retweet you know like right. that could be on the table yeah big time i mean that was one of the things i did go back to the distributors every year and say hey yeah. can you can you repromote my game and they would just mm-hmm. often go yeah sure and they'd repromote it and i'd get another spike sometimes the spike would be bigger than the launch spike right and i'd be like okay it's like another launch mm-hmm. um so that that repromotion worked because it was seasonal, but they also re-promote non-seasonal games for a few mm-hmm. years. They, you know, if you go back and ask them, they do a sort of special daily deal for you or something like that. Um, that's much harder to get on Steam, by the way, because yeah. you, you'd have to have a rep who was receptive to you, and your game would have to be good enough to stand out mm-hmm. uh, for them to do that daily deal. So. so, with keeping data and metrics on your performance and the time that you're putting in. Uh, you can you can kind of paint this picture right and start to make these forecasts and projections now my question is let's look at the other side of that have what was the best or biggest surprise that you had like oh my god like i had no idea that this was going to be the game but this ended up doing incredibly well for the weekend that i put into making it you know Hmm. what was the biggest surprise i would say so far in your game development career that was beneficial uh probably this game called spooky bonus which i released released in uh, 2013. So it's a Halloween themed match three game. Um, I think I mentioned in my talk, it was my seventh one, right? Mm-hmm. So by that point, my, my match three engine was pretty solid. It played well. I, you know, I knew how to make the game. I understood the genre, right? Um, and what I did for that game, I did that game in about three months, right? I've got the logs obviously in the exact hours, how long it took. I even hired a guy to help me code some of it, uh, not because I couldn't do it myself, but because I sort of wanted to do it quickly. And I thought if he, he does these systems, I'll do these systems, and then it will come together. And the very fact of hiring someone, I only hired him for a month, but yeah, I paid him well for a month. That was also motivating me to get my stuff done. Like having a jogging partner, you know, you pay someone, but you pay someone some money and you want to make sure you get a decent result. So that game, yeah, it took about three months. And I looked at my other sales figures. So I did projections on a game, a spring-themed game I made before. And I thought, okay, it's going to make about this much on launch. Um, and I knew, but the thing is, I knew, I had this vibe when I made it that it was good. And I showed another developer friend of mine, and he was like, it's okay, yeah, but fine. You know, <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, oh, okay. But I said, I, I really feel like it's good, this. It's got something, and I know it has. And then it came out, and it, and it did do, like, way better than all my other games um so far you know to date um especially based on the sort of hours that i put into it but the launch was better the tail was better like it was it was a halloween themed game and it launched in october but it kept selling in november it kept selling in december it sells all year round and it was selling well all year it was selling better all year round than like all my other games combined to give you an idea right so there was something right about it like um this, how you sell these games on Big Fish Games and so on is they have a demo. So you play a one-hour demo, and if you like it, you buy it. Mm-hmm. And because it had, I had constructed the demo carefully, you started playing it, and you got sort of hooked in, and you were given these special power-ups, and you could see the map and all what was to come. Mm-hmm. And then, and it looked great. It sounded great. And by the time it, your demo finished, you were like, 
oh, you know, I want to keep playing. And that is when yeah. people, people got their wallets out. And the, and the distributors told me that the average game converts about from 1% from a demo to a sale. But this yeah. game was converting at like 15%. Oh, no. wow. So, you know, that, that's the difference, right? Um, so that game... I didn't mention it in my talk, but that game has grossed over half a million dollars, right? Oh, um, congratulations. Right? Um, thanks. <laughs> but that, uh, well, you think, well, what? my talk's a lie. That was a hit. Well, the thing you've got to bear in mind is that um, the, the distributors take about 70% right. of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, st I still got a, um, 150K from it, right, over yeah. the time, which is nice. But that, that's over several years. Um you know, it's a couple of years salary for someone doing, doing pretty well. Um, and there were costs that I had to take off of that, this programmer, the art, the music and so on. Um, but that was, yeah, that was my big surprise because I projected way less than that. And that happened. And I was like, okay, you know, um, so there you go. <laughs> so we got to go back to that same question. What was your wife's face after that? <laughs> 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 well, I think, she yeah, she was pretty pleased with that. I was pretty pleased with that. It awesome. was a kind of, it was much needed uh, at the time because uh, we had run out of money again. I keep doing this thing where, see, when you're in India, it's like a boom and bust economy. Mm -hmm. you, whilst you're making the game, let's see if I can get a chart the right way, your income goes, you know, down, down, down. Um, you might even slip into debt at the end. Yeah. Then you launch and then you come out of that and then you start making the next game. And then you have to, you have to be comfortable with that uncertainty of not knowing how well it would do and being uncomfortable with running out of money at some point. Well, that's the way I've done things. It's not great. I mean, you know, other people maybe get funding, which I've done with later games, had got funding or work with publishers, or they've got savings because they've had a good job before and saved the money up. All of that stuff would relieve the pressure for sure and stop you, 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 your partner from going, you know, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, um, so it definitely coincides with the emotional roller coaster uh, mm -hmm. of it. I mean, what really did keep you going? Uh, mm. during those hard periods, mm. a, a few of them, right? I mean, what, yeah. Was, yeah. what was the closest to where you're like, uh, I'm not sure. And how, how okay. did you get out of that? Yeah. I know where there was one point where I considered quitting. There's probably been more than one, but, um, one really bad one was, I, I mentioned this one in my talk was I had, um, yeah, t several things conspired, right? So I think I was working at Big Fish Games for a couple of years. I worked there in Vancouver. So I said, I said, I've been indie the whole time, but two years I worked for them. But I kept my company, my indie company going the whole time in the background. I wasn't allowed to release any new games. I was only allowed to promote old ones because there was a non-compete contract, you know. And so I worked for them for a couple of years. But it, it wasn't a great time for a bunch of reasons I'm not going to go into. Um and during that time, my father passed away, and that hit oh. me pretty bad, right? That, uh, you know, that hit me pretty bad. I was in Canada. I managed to fly back. My sister called me. I got on an emergency flight back to the UK, went to see him, and then, you know, he's, I managed to speak to him for about one minute, and then, you know, and then he passed away. Um, so that, that hit me pretty bad, made me sort of reevaluate things. That I kind of quit Big Fish and I made a game called Spring Bonus and I was working very hard on that. And as I said in my talk, um, my, my wife got very ill during me making that game. And then it turned out she had like a, a rare kind of cancer. Mm. And um, that was pretty bad news for us all. But the silver lining was it was a treatable form, right? Uh, so that they could they could actually treat it and sort it out. And we we're in Canada, and they their healthcare system is good, right? And they they treated it, you know, for free. Yeah. And and it was world class in Vancouver. You know, they gave her everything she needed, cleared all that stuff up. And then that summer, I guess it was the summer after, you know, after that I shipped this game, the year after my dad passed away. And grief lasts a long time, mm. and. Um, I just had this very depressed kind of summer where I was really like, do I want to be, be in games anymore? You know, am I just struggling away pointlessly, keeping going on in debt, you know, and, and stuff like having to work when your partner's ill 
like she was getting treatment all year. And when you get chemotherapy, you can't do anything. It's just out. You're just out of it in bed or whatever. And I look after kids and her and everything. And I was like, I'm supposed to be working, you know, but I don't have any income if I'm not working. That's the thing when you're self-employed. You, If you've got a salary, you get, you're getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've got to make your own money. So, yeah, that was a real low patch. And I really considered quitting. Um, but it sort of passed eventually. And I actually just felt like getting back into things. We moved back to the UK eventually, and then I made Spooky Bonus, right? So that was my next game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, because Spooky Bonus did well, after that, I was sort of determined to make more good games. I just, my, my motivation now is make good games that make money. You know, I, they have to do both. I can't just make mm-hmm. some kind of crap that would make money. I don't know if it, if it would, but... It has to be good, and I have to enjoy the process, right? Because mm-hmm. that's why I went Indian in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I needed to make money as well to feed my family and then everything else. So, yeah, that was the low point for me. It was pretty bad. and But I'm not alone in that. Like, I think I'm fairly lucky in that I don't have too many – like, I don't think I'm a – um, I don't really suffer from depression or bipolar or other things, which some people do. A lot of indie developers, people on the creative side, do suffer from different things. And that's obviously really hard for them, right? Um, and it's going to knock their productivity, their confidence, all that kind of stuff. Stuff. And and having experienced this for one summer, yeah, it was bad, right? So, um, But I came out of it. I actually took a thing called st john's wort which is like a herb sort of thing mm. which can naturally help move depression and i did that for a while and then i started drinking coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it started to like like um motiv- motivate me like because i was like i kind of felt anxiety i guess but in a sort of i've got to do some work type <laughs> of way and that's so it worked for me right so yeah. um i've stopped that yeah. since because it's bad for your teeth <laughs> Uh, can you name the, the herb that you tried again for the listeners? Oh, St. John's wort. It's like okay. W-O-R-T, St. Okay. John's wort. It's legal, you know, just making sure you understand. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a thing that people can take for, for depression that helps you to take it for several weeks before it sort of begins to kick in. Um, yeah, it did make me feel – What this is a problem. What it did, though, for me was it made me feel less depressed. It definitely worked. Uh, but it didn't make me want to do any work. Mm. So I was like, <laughs> I'm satisfied uh, doing nothing. This is yeah, nice. it was it worked, that. It worked too well. Yeah, so I was like, hey, this is the summer. So it's cool. And then, um, uh, and then uh, that's why I started drinking the Coke, right? Yeah, because yeah, I knew that that would cool. sort of amp it up a bit. Yeah, because it gives me this anxiety that, oh, everyone else is making great games and I'm not. I need to do something. Um, it's like a home chemist or something, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was like the different phases. You know, maybe I was coming out of it anyway, right? I don't know. So it's hard to uh, say. Yeah. I'm glad it worked for you, though. Yeah. So you develop a lot of your at least few few uh, first games by yourself. Uh, was there a certain point that you considered a, a friend, a partner? just to to hang out with so you make these great games with with some somebody in mind um yeah what actually happened i'd always always discussed the games with my wife like it talked about various aspects of design she would test them and so on um she wasn't helping make them in a in a big way but you know definitely like in spooky bonus there there are these exploding pumpkins and that was her idea you know we used to go out for breakfast at this cafe or whatever and then just talk about the game outside of the office environment it's good for ideas right and then she came up with that idea and i knew it was a good one and yeah i put it right at the beginning of the game and then one day she said to me um i've got this idea for a card game and it's called well, we didn't have a name then, but it was it, it ended up being Regency Solitaire. The idea was that in, in the Georgian period in England, which is before Victorian period, right, um, that, that, that a lot of people played cards, right, and they lost and won fortunes playing cards. Um, and she said, you know, you can make a solitaire game, but with this story, like a Jane Austen romantic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm into costume drama, so I watched these – Jane Austen stuff with my wife or TV, BBC make good TV shows, you know, like this. Um, 
So, and I knew that it would only appeal. I knew that it wasn't like a game that was going to go on Steam and appeal to like rogue gamers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew there was a big market of mostly women who are into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was a good idea and a good concept. It hadn't done, been done before. So, so I asked her to help me with it because it was her idea. And she researched all the costumes um, for the characters, all the various sort of items in the game, locations. So they're all historically accurate, basically. And she wrote the story because she was a writer anyway. She, she was a, a, she a science writer and editor. So she wrote stuff about chemistry and physics and stuff. But then she turned her sort of talents to, to writing stories. So she did a lot of that design. And we discussed the gameplay. Then I coded it. Um, I always hire out to get someone else to do the art. So I hired an art team in Ukraine. There's a whole team of them there. And we would send them instructions. They would make something and it would come back. We would modify it, you know, edit it and send it back and forth. And I, I use the same musician I've, I've used for years, a guy in um, the Netherlands who does good classical music. Yeah, so I worked with her and put the whole thing together. And you know what? It is t- tough working with your partner. Um in many ways but it's also it's also good like um she, because did she just walk in <laughs> <laughs> well it's just like two two heads are better than one big right you know so so like we i would sit down and say i've got this idea we'd thrash it through and the end result was was way better the first time actually i had real experience of that was i was working at big fish games and there was a guy hired there called Ryan Clark. Now, Ryan made a game called Crypt of the Necrodancer eventually. You heard of that one? It's like a rhythm-based roguelike game that they did pretty well. And we used to have design discussions about games, and I, I loved this sort of two-person back and forth right. and uh, coming up with the result. And so that gave me my first sort of taste of that. Um, and then when I worked with Helen, my wife, on, on, on that, game Regency Solitaire that was a really that was the most satisfying part of it I guess having someone you can talk to about the ideas so you're not alone just doing mm-hmm. it on your own because I get a lot of doubt about my ideas I'm like is this a good idea is this a bad idea I could do this I could do this I do this I generate all these options and I have a real trouble deciding on them right. and she helps filter the through that and say no this is bull crap or there's no time to do that or, why don't we do this um so that's that's really cool. But and I'm not working with any other programmers because I guess the code base is small enough that I can do it on my own mm-hmm. and I know, know how it works. There's a, one guy I hired for Spooky Bonus to help with some systems, and that was okay, but it it wasn't great either. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, um, a lot of it's down to who you hire and work with, I'm sure. But right. um, for now, two of us is fine. I don't want to hire anyone either officially like a, a, an employee because right. that's – big time you know you'd have to pay them every single month yeah, that's the expense. yeah um unlike the us um you got like employee rights in the uk so you can't just fire someone <laughs> you have to you have to say you have to give them two verbal warnings and then two written warnings and you get it wrong they can sue you and come you know so it's like you gotta be very careful if you hire someone so mm-hmm. i'm always using contractors you know mm-hmm. so um that freelancers whatever so that works for me um my wife is an employee though so i mean that's the and she's my wife so this is the most risky combination <laughs> you, you, could, you could ever have <laughs> so i don't want to introduce any more risk yeah i mean I, I told my wife that if we ever had to work together it's not gonna happen <laughs> it's just <laughs> Fair too enough. much time together you know what i mean it's just too much yeah. time so well that that can happen you know it can be good and it can be bad big time there have yeah. definitely been times where it's been driven me a bit mad but so her, a lot of her friends said how can you work with your husband it would just drive me mad right um you know uh, but i think i think we get on pretty well but there have been a few blow-ups you know where i go like, i'm the designer god damn it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> yeah but so- yeah yeah mostly it's good mostly it's good so uh, there's a question i'm always thinking about when if you, i were to go indie and a lot of indie devs are out there they're immediately gonna think about steam or they're it used to be mobile but mobile is kind of like a crowded market now so mostly steam so what's your stance on those distribution in the current state of mobile and everything else mm-hmm. well 
so what I did for years was make casual downloadable games, right? On Big Fish Games, iWin, Real Arcade and so on. But that market has been in decline for quite a while. People said it was dead in 2009, which wasn't true. Like, remember, a spooky bonus came out in 2013 and did pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been on a low, long, slow decline. So that's why I decided to make the leap over to Steam. Um, because meanwhile, some of my friends are doing very well there. Um, I had tried mobile with various ports of my casual games, but it, none of them were successful. I mean, it depends how you define success. Like they all made money, mm-hmm. but they made less money than the, the PC Mac versions. And they're very uninspiring to work on mobile ports. You know what I mean? Because you're not mm-hmm. creating anything new. It's just a technical exercise. Um, and Apple don't make that very easy, um, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, mobile just got super, super crowded out by companies selling um, – we're not selling – they had free-to-play games, and they would acquire customers by putting ads in other games or ads all over the place. Mm. And, th- and their ad budgets far exceeded – like their daily ad budget is probably more than my annual budget mm-hmm. for a whole game, you know. So – you can't compete in that space really, you know, and even I'd heard indies who'd made pretty successful, what I thought were pretty successful mobile games and they would tell me their numbers and I'd be like, that's not really that good. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you put in. I mean, part of the problem is you're, you're selling them for like $1 or $2 right, or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you've got to go free to play. And a, a lot of indies, if, if they've tried free to play, they realize that you really need a whole team. You need like, um, you need like people managing the back end servers. You need the front end coders. You need people doing analytics. You need people doing the advertising and acquisition. You need like a whole team to do free to play properly. And that's, it's beyond the scope of a small indie dev. So yeah, Steve. Yeah. It's, it's just beyond the scope. So I've, you know, thing is my problem is I think I've come to steam too late. I think I should have switched in 20. Well, early as possible, 2010, 2020. Right. 2012, you know, lots of games did pretty well around then because you've, you two have probably seen various charts out there about the number of games being released on Steam. Right. And, and it's a lot now, right? Like 2016 was pretty much huge compared to all the previous years. So Steam is getting really crowded like mobile now. Not as, nowhere near as bad, but definitely more crowded than it was before so the problem now is before it was if you got on steam it was like just being handed a large bag of money basically <laughs> it's like woohoo, here you go um but now it, it's like you're on steam so what right it's not it, it's not the golden ticket anymore it's like you have to the challenge now is getting found on steam yeah. So, so it, it sort of goes a bit back to like being indie in the old days where you've got to drive people to your game via press or now, of course, via streamers and YouTubers um, and any method you can to get them to come and find your game. And your game better be good anyway and interesting and different enough that the people want to give it a shot. Um, I just started playing this game called Steam Profit. Profit as in like... Um, you're good at, like you're a swami kind of... Yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah, that kind of profit, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, where you predict, you look at a week's worth of Steam games and you try to predict how well they're going to do in one month time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's a mm-hmm. pretty interesting game. It's good for developing your spidey sense of like, is it a good game or not? And when I looked at this week, particular week, there were, there were, it, there are a lot of games coming out, but most of them, half at least, looked bad they just looked plain old bad they, they, the bad graphics bad logos bad everything video was terrible all pretty much like my first game right? and they and you could tell if you clicked on their names the, the publisher names there weren't any other games listed so you could tell it was these people's first game or at least the first mm-hmm. game on steam so i'm like okay well they're not actually really competitors you think they are but they're not really then there was like a whole bunch of games which um looked great but were just unoriginal you know as a game and you look at it and you're like well i could buy that or i could just play diablo 3 mm-hmm. you know oh, or I, yeah. could, I, I could buy that or i could just keep playing shovel knight or whatever you know or so yeah. they're none of the, they don't stand out in any way they look nice and you this is the worst thing. they you can tell they've spent money unlike the crap looking games they've spent money <laughs> and time and effort 
on this game that isn't going to stand out. There's no redeeming sort of unique features about it that make you go, ooh, you know. So they're going to they're going to be hit the hardest, actually, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's games that I would personally love to play that look great, but I don't think will sell. And they're often retro games. Like I like pixel platformers or, you know, old school shoot 'em up games. I, I like stuff like that. I'd love it. And then there's games that I think will sell that I won't necessarily play, but they're like simulation games um, or, you know, survival games. They're pretty big at the moment. Um, that kind of stuff. So, all I'm really saying is that in any given month when there's a whole lot of games come out, actually a lot of them aren't really competitors. Uh, a lot of them aren't going to go anywhere. And your job is to make a game in that top 5% or something mm-hmm. via the production quality and, and the idea and the marketing that's all got to come together to just be at the top. And that's what I'm trying to do with Shadowhand, my current game, to try and be one of those top games. Um, and that, and if you're anywhere else, it's just not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty it's harsh, but uh, that's what you've got to do. And your first game is probably going to be in the bottom bit, right? It's very uh, highly unlikely to be up there. You're only going to get there by practice, contacts, you know, perseverance, all of that. And I might still come in this bottom bit with my next game, and I'm well aware of that, and that's a bit scary. But it's honestly, it's good that you're willing to say it. And it's great for the audience to hear because there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, I have this nice job. I can do indie games like they they kind of look down on it. Like it's something that you can just like, oh, I can do indie, you know, <laughs> not knowing full well if they actually have the uh, what does that wrestler say? The intestinal fortitude to like actually stick out not just the game development, but the marketing, the building and maintaining relationships with influencers, you know, uh, getting your your submission handled and making sure your game is bug free and then the wait to see if people actually buy it and then what happens when they don't like are you going to be creative and try to come up with another way to sell the product or are you gonna uh well i'm going back to you know working for such and such i commend anybody who goes indie especially someone who makes a conscious decision to go full-time and isn't like well lost my job so this is my job like yeah. actually like that's <laughs> the know? worst type of indie i mean it's yeah. like worth the effort but it's like i think you mentioned this in your talk like out of desperation it's never a good decision no no that's like a situation you found yourself in and okay you're trying to make the best of it but that is not you haven't evaluated all the options i think it's a logical fallacy actually i'm reading this good book about logical fallacies at the moment and that's the classic one is like you know say you want to buy some car and it's like it's on sale today only and you're like oh my god i better buy the car Mm. and actually you could just say well wait a minute wait a minute there's actually hundreds of thousands of cars out there and i can look Mm. around and pick the best one for me Mm. so if you stick with the situation you're in you haven't evaluated everything so yeah that's tricky i mean one of the things that i think has changed you said about the market is a lot of people used to have a great launch make a giant launch spike so they make all their money back. They'd be like, yeah, we're in the uh, black again. And then like it, the, um, t- it would drop down and then sales would generate spikes and that's cool. But now I think a lot of people are experiencing smaller launch spikes, but the tail is still really good on Steam. You've got all these sales, summer sale, winter sale. You can do your own weekly things and you can put your game on Humble Store, GOG. Uh, the other ones aren't really worth bothering with, but those those ones are. You might get in a humble bundle or something. You shouldn't do it straight away, but you might get in one. So, you know, as per my talk and the charts, the long tail is important and it's become more important because spikes appear to be smaller for a lot of games these days. And if you're relying on $100,000 arriving in your first month to pay off your debts, it might not happen. So you need a plan, which is not only to be able to make the game, and ship the game but it's to survive after the game has come out mm-hmm. if, if if a it makes no money or b it just only makes a bit and not what you wanted can you survive and make the next game and that's why a lot of people are, uh, are looking towards publishers or grant money or funding it in, in various forms right so i'm working with positech games on Shadowhand, and they funded um quite a large part of the game so i just have to worry about making it mm-hmm. Not the, not the financials. Um, I also got some tax uh, sort of credits in the UK. There's a thing where if you make a UK-themed game, 
um, you can get some money back on the salaries you pay, right? Twenty mm. percent back on the salaries you pay. So I'm mm. like, okay, I I borrowed money to pay salaries, right? Mm. Because I'm getting twenty percent back. Yeah, if you can borrow money one percent and get twenty percent back, you'd borrow as much as you freaking can, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, you can make use of these sorts of things. There are there are things in Canada where you know there are incentives. I don't know what the situation is in the states, and it might vary from state to state. Uh, there is stuff around Europe. There are lots of incentives to help game developers if you can tune into those and publishers doing deals. So that's that's a way to sort of safeguard yourself. Um, but you've got to be careful you're not giving away too much, like signing up to a crappy publisher deal or um, signing up to some somebody that takes equity in your company. I'd never want that. I don't mind them getting a percent of the game sales, but you always want to own your own IP because you own that for life and you can do all sorts of other stuff with it. Whereas if, you, if it's someone else has got it, you're you're more like a contractor then, if you see what I mean, than a, you know. And also, yeah, you might have to do contract work from time to time. I did it, you know, just to sort of, Meet, make ends meet but a lot of people fall in the contractor trap where they just don't quite make enough money to break out of contracting and to making mm. their own game and you can get stuck in a rut so it's super important not to get stuck in a rut and just keep going back to making your own games right that's mm. what i've done so, so I, I have a question here um so let's say right you've been in the game for about 11 years now a lot of wisdom and you're constantly adapting and you're using the experience points <laughs> that you've yeah. gained and, and uh, to apply it to your next project. So to the people who are now trying to be you 11 years ago, hmm. what kind of 12 step program and tips <laughs> that you feel like for the first two years, right? take me for hmm. example, you know, I have kids, I'm married, hmm. I, I have a stable job. I want to do this. Uh, independently because you know, I enjoy making my own stuff and living off of it. What, what should I look out for the next two years? I mean, is it two years that I should plan for? Is it three years? Because I think okay. most people believe one year is the is the year that mm -hmm. I'm going to make a game and be successful. It's like, but usually, you know, you try to want to double that or something. Um, okay. Well, actually years ago, I made a blog post. It was, quite popular it was called the six steps to massive success right there we go <laughs> so i've actually got six steps for you right six steps to massive success is on my blog and the, let's see if I, i'm just going to find it so i can remind myself of the um, exact thing just bear with me uh, yeah, i need to pull it up too this sounds like something i don't want to miss uh and it, I, I believe it's still true but I've got it. Do want, I don't know if I can post a link into this Google Chrome thing. Uh, the, oh, don't worry. Side, we'll, uh, there's a little message chat box. It just comes out from hiding. Oh, yeah. Cool. Look, there's the, let's just copy this. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, we will put this in the show notes. So if you're on SoundCloud or if you're on Facebook, wherever you happen to be listening to this, just click in the description to see more and you'll see the link. All right. So let's... Um, Let's go through this for you, Brandon, and see what you've done. Okay? <laughs> Step one. Let's nope, see. I can't do it. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. So, number one, learn to program. Okay. Um, this have like you done that? Six no's. <laughs> six no's. <laughs> Tell me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> have you learned to program? No. No? Nope. Nope, no programming okay. skills. All right, so yeah, that's number one. Right? Not yet, not yet. Not yet. I mean, that's not number yet. one. Well, I need if a you friend wanna... now. <laughs> okay, this this is sort of from the viewpoint, admittedly, of the the main sort of I would say the main developer is the the programmer who can also design who runs the business. That's what a lot of that's what a lot of indies are. Of course, you can be an artist, you can be a musician, um, you can be a designer, but the main programmer person is the one who's probably going to be putting the most hours in, right? And and who controls the whole sort of shebang. Yeah. Um, there's not much room for like if you're a musician. There's the problem is there's a huge amount of musicians in in the indie space, and I get emails every day from musicians, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's a lot of artists, but you're most likely going to move from project to project. And as for a designer, you're you're not going to be full-time a pure designer okay there's not enough work for you to do okay mm. um on, on one game you know you might if you went between games so so you've got to learn to program right mm -hmm. so that's your first step and you want to learn to program not in something like 
um, COBOL something. You know, you've got to learn. <laughs> you've got to learn Unity or yeah, yeah, C sharp. Something, something that you can actually make a game in. Something that's hopefully cross-platform at least for PC, Mac. Um, you know, maybe mobile, maybe console. So that's number one. So when you learn to to just the basics of programming. You have to start, this is number two, fiddle around and start making incomplete games and engine code. So this is where you just sort of make, make a sprite move around and you, you know, you make things blow up or, or whatever you, you want to do. You practice making parts of games, okay? Because the whole game is just too big to do at this stage. And you just have fun. And that's when you're going to find out, do you like this stuff? Do you like it? Is this something you want to do more of? Or is it not your scene, you know? Um, and then this is the actually quite a big leap number three was i made complete free games so as in i made a small game in several weeks that you know you could play from beginning to end it was whole it had like a menu system you know it had player player and some lives it had levels and you could play it from beginning to end it might only take 10 minutes but then it, you would put it up on like congregate if it was in flash or on your own website as a downloadable some kind of free game that you're actually putting out there mm. for the public to take a look at and then sort of rip apart right mm. so um and once you've done that that teaches you a huge amount about making a game beyond just making parts of games so then I made my first commercial game. That was my Xmas bonus game. This is step four. And a commercial game is something that people actually want to pay money for, right? Um, and that's not very easy. That's why step five is make a successful commercial game. Because <laughs> your first step is going to, you know, it's not probably not going to work, frankly, right? And successful is you've learned from your mistakes. You've, you've, you've began to pay more attention to the art of game design, marketing, everything. And you've hopefully come up with a successful game. Now, the gap between four and five for me was several years or mm. a couple of years, you know, at least. Um, and then make a massive successful game is number six. I haven't done that yet. So, you know, I've been working on it right now. I'm working on it, man. Right, you're on <laughs> step six. I'm working on it. But I feel those are the viable steps for people. Um, I'm on step and, five. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Good. You're on, you started, man, right? So, I mean, look, it's got some training steps at the top of my post. Yeah, that's kind of come through it. You've got to run up those steps. Um, so, you know, you've got to do the first three whilst you're employed. Okay. And you might even, you could try and even do number four while you're employed, but it's going to be tough because making commercial game takes a lot of time and effort. Right. Mm -hmm. And any estimates you come up with, like six months, they're going to double or whatever or, or worse. Mm -hmm. Shadowhand that I'm working on now, I told the publisher six months, right? And it's been two years. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. So it, it was reasonable at the beginning, six months, because we had a reduced scope. But we, what we did is early on, we took it to a show and loads of people really liked it at the show. And, and he said to us, why don't we add some more features and content and make it better? And I was like, okay. But then I overscoped it too big. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, we, we were going to push it up to eight, nine months and it, and it's just really complicated and it's approaching two years. It is nearly done though. And two years actually isn't that long for some indie games, right? You know, mm -hmm. you've heard about some that take seven or whatever, um, but it's a long time for me, right? My longest before was a year. Some of mine was three months, mm -hmm. right? Um, but when I say the three months, by the way, I was reusing existing engines and tools and, and, game basis that i've made before so that's the other big thing is reuse if you can reuse as much of your stuff as possible it's efficient right so but yeah if you can make your games get good at making games whilst you're employed and you're safe and everything else you you've obviously got to devote that time to it the same as you devote going to the gym you probably have to devote time going to the gym as well to make up sitting in your computer chair mm -hmm. um you know get good at it find out you really want to do it save a load of money up a lot of money like christ a year's or more's worth you know like 18 months or something because you've got to make have enough money to make the game pay the artist musicians ship the game have it fail and survive enough to be able to make another one probably mm -hmm. right and that's a lot of money to isn't it right living costs for a year and a half so that's that's tough you know um so that i guess that's my steps it's not easy. It's not for everyone. I admit that, you know, uh, I don't want to discourage people. You know, if you're in, if you're in a situation where you haven't got a family and you are on very low expenses, you know, it's going to be easier for you to, to 
to do that and, and get good, as they say, right? So, um, <laughs> but, but when you've got the family and everything else, it, you've got a lot of responsibility there. So you've got to do it as safely as possible. I didn't do it safely and sensibly, and I wouldn't recommend doing what I did. It kind of worked out through sort of stubbornness or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess. And actually, it's been fine. I, I know I've had these ups and downs, but the average has been been fine for quite a long time now. Um, which is good, but it could change at any minute. Mm-hmm. So, and I have to be aware of that. It's like an incoming storm, you know? So I always like to ask this question, especially to people who are, you know, achieving success in independent development, because this is one of the questions that I get the most, even just talking to other people is what would you say is the best marketing tip? The one tip that you have to offer to people who are developing indie games. What, is, what has been your most successful strategy for getting the word out about what you do? Uh, get someone else to do it. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank get you, ladies some, and gentlemen. <laughs> get, get someone else to do it who's good at it, right? Because they're going to be better at it than you um, if, they've, if it's their job. And, you know, so that might mean hiring a PR firm and that might mean putting money aside to do that. Um, that's, that's one option. That, that, that's in terms of talking about pure marketing. So when I made casual games, I didn't do the marketing. The distributors like Big Fish did it themselves. They emailed their customers. They put the game on the front page. They even paid for adverts on Facebook and stuff. So they did it all for me. I just sat back and then they did that, right? For Shadowhand, we hired a PR company in the early days that got us some good press, um, that lined us up with press at the shows we went to. Um, and they did a good job, actually, at that. They can be costly, these sort of things, but you, you have to market budget for PR the same as you'd budget for art or anything else. Um, and Cliff Harris, the publisher, he likes doing advertising, so he pays for advertising. So, yeah, the publisher's dealing with the marketing. But there's another aspect to this, which is you have to make a game that is easy to market or that markets itself. Right. And this is the big thing this friend of mine, Ryan Clark, goes on about is coming up with an idea which the name sounds good. The concept sounds fun and interesting and that the people want to talk about it. They talked about his game because it was a rhythm based roguelike and no one's Mm -hmm. ever made one before. And at shows, it was a really big hit and it was so novel that people just talked about it and it was well made as well. You've got to obviously do that. So if you can come up with a game that sounds interesting, original, that markets itself, that also lends itself well to videos. Certain games lend itself well to streamers playing over and over and having a huge laugh and telling all their friends and so on. And, and so you've got to try and do all of that at the beginning before you even start coding. And that is not easy by any means. Like I said, all these games I was looking at the other day on Steam, and a lot of them, they just weren't that. Most of them weren't that. So that's marketing from the other aspect. That's something you can control, the idea, right? So. Well, thank you. You've helped me so much just in this episode alone, and you've been very motivating. All right. But how good at you are telling time? <laughs> well, because... we're, we're five minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I ask is to anyone who listens to this podcast and to yourself because we gave you the wrap before we started recording, we are at the one hour mark. So Brandon and I are going to give you an opportunity to talk directly to our audience to promote, to shout out or raise awareness for anything specific that you're very excited about, that you're involved in, or that you think the audience really just needs to know. So without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. All right, cool. Thanks. Well, first off, thanks, guys, for your time. I've had a good fun here. You haven't fallen asleep yet, so it's not too bad. I think I think you yawned, Brandon, at one point there. So. <laughs> That's me um, laughing. Uh, so oh, it's me oh, enjoying okay. myself. Actually, I want to do a shout out for a couple of things um, which ahead. aren't related to me. One is um, Ludum Dare or Dare, depending on how you pronounce it, game jams like mm-hmm. that's another way to practice making games is do game jams so you can either do the online ones like that or the other one is one game a month uh, i did one game a month for two, two years and um that was pretty cool and educational um or you can go to game jams like the global game jam in your area and meet up with people so that's another really cool way to just stay set aside a weekend and say i'm going to make a game in this weekend and see what you learn um you know, a super intense weekend. So yeah. Anyway, that's one thing. So yeah, I'm working on shadow hand, which is this sort of uh, card game RPG crossover. 
about a highway woman in 1770 England. And it's going to be pretty cool. It's using a system which no one has ever used before, which is a, a variant of solitaire that I've sort of customized for this game that you play to charge up your weapons to attack the enemy player in turn-based combat. And then the a- enemy plays the cards and attacks you back. Mm. Um, mm. And there's loads of cool weapons and outfits and special abilities and historical locations and classical music and gory sound effects and it, yes, my best work, my best game. I'm very proud of it. It's being published by Positech. They made um, Democracy th- 3, uh, Gratuitous Space Battles, um, published Big Pharma, just about to release today, actually, um, production line on Steam. And I think you should keep your eye on that because that's going to go big, I reckon. Um, so, yeah, it's out pretty soon. Shadow Hand, it's on Steam now as a, a page that you can wish list. Mm. So hopefully people can do that. And also I'm on Twitter as at Grey Alien. And that's Grey with an E, by the way, G-R-E-Y, at Grey Alien. Got a blog. Uh, you know, I've got some games on Steam you can buy now. You can try out Regency Solitaire. Uh, and you can try out Spooky Bonus, the Halloween game I said, and a, and a couple of other ones. So, yeah, I guess that's probably my shout outs for now. Man, Jake, I have to say first, it's been a pleasure having you on the episode, and we would love to get you back on the uh, on a roundtable that we do sometimes. And we say this a lot, but like genuinely, you are a very entertaining guest, great sense of humor, and great poison presence in your your sonic texture. I guess is that is that <laughs> the way to say like you're you're pleasant to listen to. So, uh, be happy to have you back anytime, man. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. It was it was fun, and I'm I've, I'm all awake now, so I'm ready to, to do my job. <laughs> well, sir, my name is Larry Charles. I fell off my bike. It's about that time for me to say good night. Hey, what's up, everybody? See you guys next week. All right, thanks, guys. he knows if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch you can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained